Hello and welcome to Dad Pod. I am Charlie Clawson and sitting opposite me, of course, in isolation, but still looking at me through a computer is Osha Ginsberg. Osha, how are you? I am I am good. I am in the in the realm of the isolation thing, because we're you know, nobody's shooting anything, nobody's working. So there's actually a bit of rhythm about our life at the moment, which mm. I'm actually enjoying. Wolf has no rhythm. Wolf is like, fuck you, it's two AM and I want to eat now. Yeah. So Audrey's still elusive as far as sleep's concerned, but it means that I get to do the morning shift. Mm. So from about 5.36 or so until time at nine, I'm on. And then I go for, again, I'm, I'm definitely, I'm locked in for the afternoon shift to bed. So from about 4.45 or so right up until bedtime is really, really good. So I'm able to kind of take care of those things in between working and stuff like that. And um, I figured out that at the at nine o'clock nap time, that's the workout hour. Right. So either my neighbor will come over or I call my buddy Heggy for who's been on season one. Luke, yeah. Went for a bike ride the other day. So it's been okay. Do you think there's any way, uh, Iona has a similar kind of schedule, but she has a nap around 10 a.m. So about an hour, about a couple of hours, an hour after breakfast, she'll, she'll have a little nap. But sometimes she doesn't. And so that is my workout time. And so I've been trying to incorporate my workout as a game for her because uh-huh. she seems to be genuinely amused by what I'm doing. And so in the living room floor, we've got some toys scattered around. So I'm trying to, maybe I'll actually come up with my own workout routine. Maybe this is the start of a brilliant idea where I will, because I'll do things like I'll do push-ups and move her toys from side to side Mm -hmm. that she can chase around or play with while I'm doing my push-ups. So I incorporate playing with her into my workout. It's a way of, you know, two birds with one stone. I I love it. I don't know if I should really be swinging kettlebells around (laughs) Wolfgang. Yeah, right. Probably not a good idea. I'm just using body weight, so that makes sense. I'm swinging around teddy bears at the moment. <laughs> that's 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 pretty good. I like I like that a lot. This is season two of Dad Pod. If you haven't heard season one, it's it's us going, "Hey, we're we're having babies. Let's make a podcast." And we we did, and it was great. But it's probably a little light on actual meat that you could take home and take to the bank. Uh, so we thought we'd come back for season two. We're not bringing a knife to a gunfight. We're trying to bring some actual meat on the bone for season two of Dad Pod because we, just through the, the course of what happened when we did the first season, we rushed very quickly over the pregnancy part and we got straight into the um, the baby talk like we've just been doing. Understandably, because we were in the middle of the pregnancy part. We rushed over it because our wives were about to give birth. That's right. And, you know, yeah. that I do remember record those recording sessions and you were like a month ahead of me. And so there was this kind of like unpredictability to what we were doing. So... We were kind of making it up as we go along. The idea with season two, and we won't keep recapping this with every episode, but just, you know, in case you're new to the show, the idea with season two is that with the benefit of hindsight, we can now go back and look at what we've learned in that first nine months of pregnancy to six months of birth. Now, we did cover this a little bit on the last episode, but I kind of wanted to talk a a little bit about which way are you going to go? Are you going to go the public healthcare system or are you going to go the private healthcare system? Now, on top of that, there's also things like, are you going to have a midwife or are you going to have a doula or all kinds of things? Now, Audrey had Georgia at Bankstown Hospital. She went through the public system the first time around and said it was absolutely amazing. She had an extraordinary experience. Everyone was great. She felt super supported. I've had mates who 
I think, you know, it just made me super happy to be in this country. And I'm sure, you know, anyone who's having any experience with the healthcare system right now during this pandemic would be very grateful as they look around the world that we do have universal healthcare and such an incredible healthcare system because... As, as a mate of mine, he got he had a baby at this new hospital they built in Sydney at the in the northern beaches there, and he said the next bed to them he said we live in a, a bed sit, you know he doesn't make a lot of money they she's not working they might really don't have any much cash to rub together but he said we got exactly the same treatment as the millionaire yacht owner in the bed next to us and that's the wonderful thing about this country you went in the uh, through the public system didn't you charlie yeah we explored every option we sort of looked at public and we our birth plan was to avoid medical intervention as much as possible so uh, what we wanted to do was go public but register with the midwife group and have a baby in the birth centre. So for the uninitiated, the birth centre is contained within the public hospital and what it tends to be is a uh, it's a larger room that uh, resembles less of a hospital room and more like, for lack of a better term, a, a hotel room. So there's a mm-hmm. big double bed, there's like a, a bathroom with a, a tub that your, your partner can get into it just generally it has a less of a feeling of doctors and, and you know, the sterile nature of a hospital and mm. just of a more warm, comforting kind of environment. So in order to get access to the birth centre, when you start paying your visits to hospitals and doing your regular checkups and everything, you need to register for the midwives group because there are a couple of preliminary kind of discussions you have before then. You get put on a list and then all things being considered, they try and coordinate when you're due around, you know, when the centre's going to be av- available and all that kind of stuff. So... That was the plan. But then we got about six or seven weeks out from our due date. And when we had one of our routine meetings with one of the midwives at the hospital, she said, uh, and you're going to be in the ho- you're having a baby in the hospital? And we're like, no, no, in the, in the birth centre. And she was like, oh, well, what midwives group are you part of? And we told her. And she checked her list and we weren't part of the midwives group. So we found out last minute that we weren't part of this midwives group, therefore we weren't going to be allowed into the birth centre. The very best they could do for us was put us on a waiting list, but that was a very long waiting list. So it was a real kick in the guts because we'd sort of been visualising, you know, the birth centre yeah. and we'd made plans of how we're going to, you know, get a salt lamp and I was going to yeah. stick up my motivating slogans and music and all that kind of stuff. But then we had to change all that and start looking at the hospital rooms and the public hospitals and then the private so we could work out what we want to do. So we did the public one first and it was fine. Like it was not what we wanted, but we figured, oh, you know, we can bring an inflatable pool in here and there's all that kind of stuff. And then we checked out private and we liked the private as well, but we just sort of felt that for the money you'd pay, uh, we didn't really feel like there was enough of a difference between the public and the private. And also the idea of we wanted to, if possible, if everything went well, we wanted to get home as soon as possible. Whereas I think in the private, there was a mandatory, you know, you stay in the hospital for two or three days after yeah. the birth. So we went public. The twist in that story is that when we actually, when Gemma was in labor and we arrived at the hospital to give birth, the public hospital was so full that the only place I could put us was the birth center anyway. <laughs> so our, we got our wish <laughs> and Iona was born in the birth center. So how, how, what would your experience have been like if you did go with the midwives group? Would you have been assigned a midwife or just whoever was free on the day? I think it's whoever is free on the day. But generally speaking, 
the way it was explained to us is the midwife you see, there's a good chance that you'll have that midwife for your birth. So the other side to that is we also had a doula. For people who don't know, a doula is different to a midwife in that a midwife is their specific job is the delivery of babies, whereas a doula takes a more all-encompassing approach to pregnancy, childbirth, and then childcare after the birth. So the way we viewed it is we didn't have any parents, no grandparents who were alive or in Australia to fill that role. So we hired we hired a parent, to some, someone to come in and, and just relay their experiences and just sort of coach us through the process. And so we used this daughter called Caitlin, who was just fantastic. We had a, a simple meeting with her just to sit down lunch and she sort of explained her philosophy when it came to childbirth. And we really dug that. And the good thing about doulas is a lot of them are midwives or have, you know, worked in the public sector. So they know all the midwives. So when yeah. you tell them what hospital that you're thinking of having your child in, they have relationships with a lot yeah. of those midwives. So when we actually gave birth, it was no doctors in the room. It was just two midwives and our doula. So if you're trying to work out what you think will work best for you, that's probably what you want to think about is would you feel safer in a hospital, look, the thing is when you're in the birth center, if anything happens, if there's any complications, you'll be moved into the hospital anyway. So some yeah. people feel like, well, if that's going to be a chance and let's just be in the hospital anyway, we don't have to worry about uh, doing the move. But if you feel like you want to try something that is, feels like less of a medical experience, and I can say, you know, what we went through was amazing. The midwives were so fantastic and had an ability to kind of What's the word, Osh? It's like demystify the experience for you, yeah. normalize the experience for you. They're so calm and relaxed and because they've done this so many times. Yeah. If you go in there with any kind of like anxiety or concern about what's going to happen, that's quickly alleviated by the fact that they are, this is just, it's just another day for them. Mm. Can I ask, during the pregnancy, mm. who did all the, the health checks just to make sure that Jem was tracking well and, you know, checking the weight and the... Well, the midwives at the public hospital did that. So you would you would be booked in and you would go in and just whoever midwife was there on the yep. day, they would say, oh, hi, I've got your chart. Here's yep. what's going on. Let's do the measurements, check the weights. You know, here's the ultrasounds, all that kind of stuff. A hundred percent. Yeah. So between that and your GP, they're the ones who are... Yeah. All right. Well, well, see, we went the other way around. We got a obstetrician. Cracking bloke, Matt. He's got five kids of his own. So we're like, okay. So you, you've, you've obviously done this before yourself and as well as everybody else. And mm. we would go and see him initially. We saw him every month. And then we saw him, uh, I think, every two weeks and then every week. And then right towards the end, there was a few hiccups, which we'll get to later in the season. We actually, we started seeing him every second day or so. Matt would do all the ultrasounds. He would check the cervix. He would just make sure everything was okay. Yeah, he wouldn't check the cervix every time, but he was really great. And then on the day, it was extraordinary. Now, bear in mind, this was covered by private health insurance. Uh, a lot of it, Audrey had been paying since we kind of first started talking about having a baby. She had, you know, made sure like quite a ways out that she was paying the top dollar getting on the, on, the, on the top plan so that by the time we did get pregnant, we would have passed any waiting period. So bear that in mind that you could do have to plan ahead for this kind of thing. So therefore, mm. we were able to have this bloke in our lives. He was freaking great, man. He was really good. And what was extraordinary for me and that was I loved about it is that when you do go with someone like an obstetrician, it's that 
consistency of message and he's very familiar with your case. He knows exactly the complications. Mm. Audrey had gestational diabetes, which she managed very well, but it was definitely a part of the complication of the situation. And he was aware of how the pregnancy was going. And he had, towards the end, when we did actually run into a few problems with uh, threatened preterm labor, and we had a few issues towards the end, it got a bit bumpy right towards when Wolfie showed up. They had him on speed dial at the hospital. And mm-hmm. he would get some sort of notification that we had showed up in the birthing suite and they'd strap the little monitor on Audrey so they could see Wolfie's heartbeat. And he'd be watching on an app at home, watching the heartbeat, watching the contractions. And then I remember there was one time we went in there and we walked in and then 12 minutes later, this is at 10.30 at night on a Thursday, 12 minutes later, Matt's standing there in scrubs. Like, you, what? Did you live here? <laughs> Is he like Candyman? Did you look in the mirror and say Matt like five times and he appeared behind you? <laughs> Something like that. But <sighs> after the first time that happened, it made me think, I'm just so grateful. Yeah, it did cost a, a bit to have that. But in the grand scheme of things, it was so great to know that he was there and he was so familiar with the case. And particularly when we got right towards the end and we... We, it got a bit bumpy right towards the very end, knowing that he had been on the whole journey with us and we didn't have to re-explain ourselves every single time. It was really, really great. Well, it sounds like, Osh, even though we took different paths, the similarity is that we had one person involved in it that was at continuity of care. That's the word I'm looking for. You had your obstetrician and we had our doula. Right. So your doula would come with you on the in the checkups? No, she wouldn't come with us on the checkups, but she was abreast of all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Because my concern was if we got into labor and things started flipping out or whatever, I wouldn't have the language or I wouldn't know how to express myself. I wouldn't know what to say or do. And so having her was like having an interpreter or a translator. Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Someone who, who could speak fluent midwife or yeah. could speak fluent, you know, uh, childbirth. To be an advocate for, for Jem, which is I, – I did find yeah. myself doing that a bit towards when Wolfie started getting born is like being an advocate for the mother is really important. And if you yourself had identified that you might not be able to know the right thing to say to the right person – by all mm. means, yeah, I think that's a bloody great move that you did yeah. that. But also, you know, she was able to put us in touch with midwives who had TENS machines. Oh, yeah. Reading literature, she'd come around and she would educate us on like, well, this is how much food you'll probably need in the first few weeks mm-hmm. when you guys are sort of sleep deprived. Like it's just all those yeah. little things. So it sounds like we both took a similar approach where yours was more medically focused and ours was more holistically, for lack of a better term, focused. Well, we had – see, the thing is that we had that support – from Audrey's mum. Of so course, Audrey's right. mum is a, my mum had passed away by the time I got pregnant, but Audrey's mum was a clinical dietitian and had been with and worked with many, many, many women who had gestational diabetes. And obviously she had two kids of her own. Her son has three children. She's been around many babies and knows, you know, the right things to do and what, what to expect and all this sort of stuff. So we were so grateful that we were able to call her up and get on the FaceTime and, or whatever and just say, oh, this is what's going on. What should we do? Oh, watch the white rice, watch the white bread, something, something. To make. And then having that kind of conversation with Audrey's mum being there for us and us, you know, was really, really great. And the conversations about what will the baby need to eat? I mean, obviously this is... Steak, right? But oh, yes, Steak and bourbon. But Audrey's second child as well. So Audrey had a fair idea of, of how it all goes and what we'll need to do in the first days and weeks and months after the baby's born. And so Audrey already herself had heaps of 
knowledge in this area as well. So we we also had that. But we were talking a bit about this last week, but I did want to cover it a bit because it is something worth visiting. Mm-hmm. And I did a bit of looking into it, actually, Charlie. We were talking about having the conversation about how much your parents or grandparents will be involved with baby. Now, you are in the situation where the only grandparents that are alive are overseas, over in Scotland, aren't they? So they weren't really able to be around or offer day-to-day help. And this is why the the doula was involved. My mom's no longer with us. Uh, We are down in Sydney. The rest of my family's mostly up in Brisbane. So Audrey's parents are the only people around. However, there are definitely going to be people who have both sets of parents still alive Mm. and possibly even grandparents still alive. Well, you're saying non-geriatric parents. Yes. Is that what you're saying? Like if you're not a geriatric yeah. like Osher and I, if you're in your twenties, you're probably all right. Yeah. <laughs> Managing the expectations of all those people is something you're gonna have to be aware of. And like we had the benefit, like there was only one Audrey's mum saying you should be and you shouldn't be doing this, which is fine. But there's definitely going to be the case where one mum's going to say, that's a fine thing. The other mum's going to say, I can't believe she told you to do that. Smoking's fine. <laughs> I want to meet that mum. Yeah. <laughs> Where'd you find her in like 1972 or something? <laughs> Gold Coast, obviously. What mum is saying that? Oh, but you know, you know what <laughs> no, I'm saying. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> did, you, did you know that the jealousy between grandparents about who actually gets to access the kid or who's following whose advice, that is really quite common and it can cause quite a schism in families. So it's really important for you to remember that ultimately you and your partner, you are creating a new family based on the latest knowledge that you're able to you know, discern, hopefully not from weird fringe Facebook groups, but actual facts. And you are ultimately the final say on what is good or not good for your pregnancy. And so just to manage expectations there around parents and grandparents and their opinions of, oh, no, no, the moon's full. You should absolutely wrap it in a red muslin towel and, and put it out in the, in, the, in the moonlight and that'll make it feel better. Whatever. You know, I'm just making stuff up. But that does work in case you're wondering. It sounds like you're just referencing season one of Dad Pod. That was the kind of info we were dishing out in season <laughs> We one. really were. But, you know, being sure of like, think about between the two of you, and this is where you may have to be an advocate for your partner Mm -hmm. who may not be able to stand up to their mum or dad and maybe give them a call when your partner's around and say, listen, what you were saying to him or her earlier today really bothered him. I appreciate that you're just trying to care for us, but it flies in the face of what our obstetrician was saying. And we're going to have to go and trust this person who has been to university and delivered 10,000 babies, whereas you haven't. So I love you, mother or father-in-law, but you know what I mean? Like, Think about how you might be able to have them involved in the pregnancy, but also try to insulate yourself from any kind of weirdness or you're not following what I'm saying, therefore you don't love me. That's not the case at all, mum, dad, granny, grandpa. Yeah, I mean, look, the benefit of uh, even if my mother was still alive, because she had so many kids herself, I think the last thing she wanted (laughs) was more children to look after. I mean, if I talk to my siblings who have kids, you know, mother was, she's a very loving grandmother, but a very reluctant babysitter. (laughs) She was, you know, you might have to go, some parents might even go the other way. Yeah, by the time she had you, number nine, I think she was done. Yeah, she was done with kids. I I think she was, because most people, even if all their children have grandchildren, they won't get to nine. Yeah, by the time they count their own kids. But your mum are definitely, that's a quota. That's yeah. like, I've done enough laundry, changed enough nappies. No. She no. basically created a micronation. <laughs> Quite the GDP. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of dads, 
Yeah. I would like to speak to a dad because we do like to have special guest dads on this show. I would like to speak to a dad that I have quite a delightful connection with because mm-hmm. I was there the moment that he met the mother of oh. his child. I was going to say, I was there the moment they conceived. I'm like, holy shit. And that's another <laughs> show altogether. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, that's Maddie Johnson. All right, we're good. We're good. This is my favorite time of the day when Marley has the neatest of her naps. Got it. Uh, Maddie J, welcome to Dad Pod. You're on with Charlie Clawson. Uh, thank you so much for joining us during nap time. Did we get the timing right? You can take a call during nap time. No, this is actually perfect. This is, I feel like now I can get my identity back. I'm no longer attached to my child and I can think like an adult. So this is perfect. So, Maddie, what's your go-to when your baby goes down and you've got that 40-minute window? What's the first thing? You know what? It's a toss-up between Laura and I have to take it in turns with who gets to exercise. <laughs> and today, it's Laura's turn. So I'm holding down the fort at home. And normally at this time, my kitchen is looking disgusting. The washing is, is piled up. I've got a load of machine for about three days. That's going moldy. So you start to attack the house chores. But instead, you're going to get on the phone and talk to two grey-bearded men in their 40s. Two geriatric dads. Because it's very important that I get this content on the show, on the internet, Laura. If we're going to plan, we'll wrap this up. Before Laura comes back from her run, I'm going to do the dishes and she'll be none the wiser. Well, we won't keep you too long. We've been talking a lot today about whether you go the public journey or the private journey. Audrey and I went private. Charlie and Jem went public. Which way did you go, Maddie? And, and what was your experience like? We went public. And I remember when we were trying to decide what kind of birth we wanted. I remember the, the midwife at the time said, what's your birth plan? Like, what kind of birth do you want? And we had no idea. We had no idea there were even multiple options to choose. But we were, I think we were pretty naive going into it. We didn't really consult with a lot of people. And we just thought Randwick and, and Sydney is such an amazing hospital that we get such good quality anyway. What's the point of paying a whole heap of money for us? But it was, it was funny for us because our midwife, unfortunately, her parents got quite unwell. And she had to go back to Perth about a month before water was due. So the person that we had had joining us for the entire journey of the pregnancy all of a sudden was plucked and taken away. So it was a little bit unique for us. Were you okay with that? What did you ultimately do? I mean, obviously they weren't just going to replace her with anybody. Do you know what happened? So we went past Laura's uh, date where she was uh, expecting to give birth. They then said, okay, you're going to have to be induced. And we were like, okay, fine, not a problem. They said, come in on Tuesday and this is what will happen for when you become induced. And we thought, okay, great, perfect but no one told us the actual specific details of when you're induced like you're going in right then and there so we went in thinking that we were just going to go for almost a pre-inducing checkup and we walked into the hospital and the midwife looked at us and said wow you guys pack too lightly and we were like what do you mean oh no and then she's like this is this is you you are now we are going to induce you We, we are having a baby today and we were like what? Laura had nothing with her at all. We had to stay in hospital. I had to rush back home 
get her bags, try and pack everything that we planned and we kind of knew that, you know, having a spare set of clothes and, you know, snacks and everything else, and then goes back to the hospital in time for Laura being induced. So it was a bit of a chaotic start to Laura's, I guess, birth plan. It was definitely not how we envisioned it. Can I ask, Maddie, when you uh, had your first sort of meeting with the midwife, was there discussion of um, the birth centre or was you were you always going to be induced and so you had to have her in the hospital? No, so we, I think, I'm trying to cast back my memory because I think I remember when we, when, when we first walked into the birthing suite and that's when they run you through the multiple options. But I had no idea what a water birth would look like until I looked at this big old tub. And even, I think when we walked away from that, Laura still didn't have any idea really of how she wanted it to play out. And neither did I. We kind of went into it quite blind. Did you understand the difference between sort of like the birth centre being mainly midwives with minimal medical interaction versus the hospital, which was sort of obviously in in a a medical environment? Yeah, because we, um, I think the, the biggest thing for us was the fact that Laura definitely wanted an epidural. Okay. That was something that I think was was rock solid for her in her mind. And right. I think it was, I always get it mixed up. Is it the birthing suite where you're able to get the epidural? Uh, in a birthing suite, yes. Not the, the birth centre is no, but if you're having an epidural or any kind of medical involvement, it's got to be in a, in a birthing suite. Because the biggest fear for Laura was obviously once you get past a certain point uh, when you're in labour, there becomes a time where you can't get the epidural because you're too yeah. far gone. And yeah. so Laura was like, my biggest fear is not being able to get the epidural and getting to that point uh, where I should have made a call earlier or I should have moved to the birthing suite. So Laura was like, all I care about is being in the birthing suite and having the epidural on hand as yeah. soon as I can. Which makes complete sense to know that you have all options available to you. Yeah, I think one of her friends had this story of she said that when she was in labor, she looked at her midwife and she said, okay, I'm ready for the epidural. And they were like, "Uh uh-uh, nah, you're way too far gone. By the time you give birth, it wouldn't have kicked in, but there's no point. And that for Laura was just, that was embedded in her mind as worst case scenario that she wanted to avoid. And so uh, on the day, how, how did it work out? It's funny. It's been a while since I've gone back and thought about it, to be honest. And it's funny reliving it right now. But when you get induced, it really goes from zero to 100 so quickly. I remember Laura had the needle inserted and we're kind of chatting around as if nothing had happened. And then within five minutes, contractions started. And they didn't just come on quite lightly. Like it hit her like a ton of bricks to the point where she was kind of bent over in agony moaning. And it all happened so quickly. And I think even her, her labor, I think it only lasted from when we had the injection to when we gave birth. It was about an hour and a half. It was so quick. Far out. Wow. And it's, it's hard because everyone's different. You know, some people will, will be two hours, some will be six hours. And so it's really hard to know what your experience is going to be like. And you try to as best as you can not constantly compare your situation to other people's and try and just know that, you know, whatever happens is going to be unique and it's your own and you have to try and enjoy it. Yeah, absolutely. So on this show, on the today's episode, we have been talking a little bit about involvement of in-laws. Both of your 
in-laws, like her in-laws and your in-laws, they don't live in Sydney, do they? Yeah, Laura's mum, she lives down in Wollongong. Her dad lives up in North Queensland. And my mum lives up in Brisbane as well. So we we don't have the luxury of having an in-law that's just a, a half an hour drive down the road. Yeah, so when you came to, you know, someone being there for the birth and, you know, sort of advice along the way, did you have any issues where one, you know, one mum was saying one thing and one mum was saying the other? Weirdly, to me this doesn't sound weird, but when I tell other people, they're like, what do you mean? How did that happen? So my mum said to me, she requested that she be in the room when we're in your birth. I'm one of five kids and my sister is the only other sibling to have have a baby and my sister asked that my mum not be in the room so my mum <laughs> always wanted to have that experience of, of being there in the room to, to watch you know, a child be born as she becomes a grandparent again and I kind uh. of invited her in the room without even consulting Laura oh. I just said yeah of course she can why not the more the uh. merrier what, what harm could uh. it do and <laughs> it was only until like the week before well, I said to Laura, I kind of forgotten that I hadn't told her. And I was like, well, by the way, my mum's going to be in the room. Oh, and yeah. didn't really give her the option of arguing it. But in the end, it worked out perfectly. Because my mum, giving birth to five kids, she's been there a number of times. So she was the perfect pillar of support for us. And, and Laura's mum wasn't able to be present at the birth. So it kind of worked out perfectly. Yeah, it worked out perfectly. But come on, tell us, how did it go down when you let her know? <laughs> <laughs> Laura was like, what, what do you mean? And I was like, no, well, I think we're having dinner. And I was like, oh, this is a really delicious dinner. Thanks, babe. By the way, mum's going to be there for the birth. <laughs> oh, <she> was no! Like, <laughs> It's like, what? What are you? How have you not told me? How long have you known? I think I'd known for like a month oh, at that shit. point. Oh, my God. I think the most remarkable part of this story is that you're still together. <laughs> <laughs> well, I just assumed. I was like, look, she's going to be there. You guys are really close. She's going to be able to help. Why not? Why not? But, I mean, yeah, one thing that I would do differently for number two would be asking permission before I invite anybody else into the room. <laughs> Mark that down as, as a hardcore. Yes. Maddie J said. If you boys want to be there, please. There's front row seats for you two, absolutely. <laughs> uh, I'll, I'll pass. Thanks, Maddie. I appreciate that, but I'll pass. <laughs> hey, uh, buddy, thanks so much for giving up some precious nap time to talk to us on Dad Pod. Really appreciate it, buddy. You're extremely welcome. Thank you, boys. Ah, that was really good. How's that? How's that? <laughs> My God, can you imagine if you just sprung on Audrey like a month out that you're bringing someone in? That would not work out very well, nah. well Charlie. I could just imagine. Now, Now, bear in mind, I know both of them. I met Maddie a year before I met Laura, and Laura is a fabulous woman. She's a very strong-willed woman. She's a lovely human being, and I can only imagine the poos that Matty would have been taking through his brand new asshole that Laura would have torn him the moment he mentioned that his mum, uninvited, unbeknownst to her, had been invited into the room. Like, if that had been me, this would be a podcast called Divorce Pod. <laughs> Fuck yeah, me too. I can't. be like, I don't know where it all went wrong, Osh. <laughs> I don't. That's bloody champion, Laura. You are an absolute champion. You win. You, you're almost dad, dad pod hall of fame for that. Good thing you bring that up, Osh. Nice little segue there. <laughs> At the Dad Pod Hall of Fame, we like to induct a, a father that we've grown up with, someone that we've taken life lessons from. And, and, and when I think about 
TV dads, when I think about characters who symbolize fatherhood to me, you can't really go past this inductee. I'll give you a hint. If I was to say Sunday, Monday. Oh, happy days. <laughs> Mr. C, Howard Cunningham. Howard I can't Cunningham. believe we haven't got to him already. Like, he he must be one of the all-time. The Mount Rushmore of TV dads would have to have Mr. C, right? Now, let's just be honest here. We're old men, like the yeah. grey. <laughs> we're the, geriatric, as we mentioned every episode. Geriatric, basically. So we're referring to a TV show that was filmed in the 1970s before a live studio audience and, and into the 1980s, and it was set in the 1950s. Famously, Ron Howard was on that. Ron Howard, who went on to direct Apollo 13, Castaway, Forrest Beautiful Gump. Mind. He was on that show as an actor, but his TV dad was Howard Cunningham. Yeah. I mean, most people know Happy Days as the Fonzie show. And and Fonzie was a, a minor character who became the star of the show, but essentially it was about the Cunninghams, who were your typical Milwaukee, Midwest, Republican voting, like, white family. But Howard Cunningham, he was a small business owner. He owned, do you remember this? Cunningham Hardware. Oh, that's right. He had a hardware store. And he was, uh, he was considered this sort of prototypical um, mid-50s Republican father there. He was uh, understanding and staunch in his belief, but would always make his kids, uh, you know, uh, learn from their mistakes and, and understand the consequences of their actions. Like the time Richie took photos of, uh, <laughs> was that Howdy Doody? <laughs> Remember that episode where Rich, Richie was writing for the school paper and so he wanted to get a photo of Howdy Doody without his makeup on, Howdy Doody, the 50s TV clown. And so I went backstage and snapped a photo and uh, Mr C gave him a talking to about sometimes, Richie, in your pursuit of what you want, you, you can trot on other people. He was always there and he, he would neatly wrap up, like many TV dads, found a way to neatly wrap up whatever conundrum that his kids had in a solid 21 network minutes. Yeah, he was a husband of Marion, father of Chuck, Richie and Janice. Do you remember Chuck? Oh, Chuck, Chuck was the, the vet who lived upstairs and then moved out and then Fonzie moved in. Yeah, that's right. Well, I mean, I think that would be uh, Howard Cunningham's if you had to sort of define what, why was he such a well-balanced individual, it was, yeah, he was this kind of conservative Midwestern dad, but he allowed a common street thug to move into the apartment yeah. above his family home where his daughter, where his 16-year-old daughter slept, he allowed a greaser yeah. to come live in the apartment. Yeah, a, a guy who would hang out in the uh, the diner, essentially, mm-hmm. chatting up high school girls by a Whose jukebox. office was the men's toilet. <laughs> Super weird. <laughs> Super weird, but he was yeah. He would be uh, he would be up there with some of the. Uh, I mean, look, there's, there's other sitcom dads, but he was probably the first. He was the first of the proper sitcom dads. Gruff on the outside, but a softy in the middle, and just full of great advice, and and ultimately helped Ron Howard become one of the greatest directors of our generation. Oh yeah, and obviously I, I almost forgot he was also the grand poobah of the Leopard Lodge four six two. <laughs> Who could possibly forget? Secret societies. They make what make the world go around. <laughs> yeah. So Mr. C, Howard Cunningham, Dad Pod salutes you. You're the best. If you do want to email us, it's pretty easy. Askdadpod at gmail.com. One came in from Greg. He sent two emails uh, in our off season. He sent one while he was listening in Amsterdam at Schiphol Ooh. Airport. One of my favourite places on the planet. Me too. Uh, which was really, really... I think for different reasons, but... 
Oh, no, I, I didn't ever smoke weed there. I was sober by the time I got there, which is pretty cool. Uh, but he was he, he was loving the podcast. And then he wrote again, seven weeks pregnant. So a couple of weeks later. And he said that the tricky part is that his wife is suffering. I'm going to get this wrong. Hypermesis gravidarum. Hypermesis gravidarum, which means that she feels sick all of the time and that it never lets up and that she's constantly retching, often bringing up the very little food that she's able to eat. In fact, she can't eat meat anymore. She struggles with foods that aren't in soup form and it's very, very, very tough. So it's very tricky for him. He's uh, working in, uh, in IT. So as anyone knows in this time of lockdown, grocery shelf stackers, ambulance drivers, street cleaners and IT workers. Without them, lockdown would be very boring. (laughs) We would be in a lot of trouble. So he's he's working very, very, very hard. But I just did want to say hey to you, mate, and thank you very much. Thank you very much for staying in touch. And we certainly hope that you've you've got some support in this weird time where you can't have people around to help out around the house. It'd be pretty weird to be trying to go through a pregnancy like that without being able to have mates to come around and, and, and help out while you're at work. Yeah. Uh, Package soups. That's my tip. You can go to your local Coles or get it delivered. Package soups are the best thing. Uh, They're they're tasty, they're hearty, and they're relatively affordable. Well, you just throw them in the pot and away they go? And away they go. I love it. Thank you so much for joining us for episode four of season two of Dad Pod. We'll be back next time with an episode all about birth courses. Now, you may think that you know everything there is to know about having a baby. (laughs) And who are you, you arrogant bastard? Yeah, or you could be like my wife who's already had a baby and was like, why do I need to do a birth course? I'm like, honey, can you do it for me? So we'll be talking about the positives and negatives of going on birth courses on the next episode, which should be great. My, We're coming up on 3 o'clock. When we're recording this, we're actually recording. Matty J is not the only person recording a podcast during nap time. Uh, yes. I'm also recording this podcast during nap time, and I've just been sent a video. <laughs> That doesn't sound like a baby that's asleep. That sounds like a baby that's reading a book. Hey, buddy. That's pretty cute. Yes, I better get get upstairs and decipher that incredibly uh, (laughs) difficult communication. But all I can say is his rage, he's got a rage cage now because he's quite uh, mobile. Right. So we've got a rage cage in in the middle of the living room so he doesn't, you know, hit things. But the rage cage is on one side. And so he's free. He's he's gone free range. Uh oh. So I better get upstairs and see exactly. Call Tommy Lee Jones. We've got a fugitive. <laughs> <laughs> You're the best, Charlie. Have a cracking night, man. And, Thank um, you. And uh, everyone can hear us here next week. Exactly. Until then, go to bed. <laughs> <laughs>